Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. beautiful. It's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, Thanks for being here. Um, You know, when I was about nine years old, my mother moved all of us kids from Puerto Rico to New York. We moved in the South Bronx, and uh, it was her and seven kids, so she had to be very creative in how to entertain us. And one of the things we loved to do is we get on the train and the subway, and we would literally just for $1 that day, we'd ride it from one end of the city until it ended, and then we'd come back and do it again. And we took our lunch and our drinks with us, and we would hang out on this train, joking. We'd take up a whole row, and we'd be joking and poking each other and making faces and having a good old time. And one day, uh, someone actually stopped us and said, you know, I've been watching you on this ride, and it's just, you guys are such a beautiful family. These seven kids and my mom, and, and we just see you guys united. And, and you're just, just beautiful to watch a family that's united. And I always remember thinking, wow, it's a good thing that day we were in a good behavior. <laughs> you know, my mother raising seven kids by herself, three of them boys, four of them girls. Bo- boys fought all the times. Girls were like, Nye at each other, and we never, we didn't always look so beautiful and put together. There was all kinds of fighting going on, but I was grateful that day we were able to show this beautiful picture of a united family to that person. Last Sunday, we had such a special service. I, I, I hope that you were here. I see many of you that were here, and as you know, one of our members, Angie Campbell, where's Angie? She's here. She's over there. Say Angie. Angie graced us with her art. She came up here with her pottery wheel, and, and she showed us this beautiful illustration of God molding us into the image of Christ. And we had such a sweet, sweet time together. I was out in the patio uh, talking to some people, and a woman walked out to me. She said, you know, I've never been to Mariners. This is the first time, and I came to the chapel, never been to the chapel before, And I want you to know, as I was here, I watched a beautiful family. I watch as your community is so full of kind, nice people who love one another. And I experienced uh, your unity in a beautiful way. And she just couldn't stop talking about you. How beautiful of a family you are. And I've been thinking about that all week and thinking about, wow, isn't that Incredible how we can have an impact, right, on a new visitor who's probably never experienced unity in the church before and seeing us as a body of Christ being really what Jesus calls us to be. And I've been thinking all week that, you know, unity is one of those things that we have to fight for, right? It's not like we can just assume it's going to happen. We have to fight for it. We know that there is disunity all over. There's a lot of disunity in the world. And so we want to need to fight for unity and we need to fight against disunity, right? We see disunity breaking down in families, families who, who struggle with one another and, and, and things fall apart. And we see the damage that disunity does, right? We see it in our nation, divided by um, all kinds of reasons, divided by our political stance, our, 
our philosophical stance divided in race, ethnic lines, economic lines, and it's not pretty, is it? It's ugly when we watch the effect of this unity. And I think the worst place, the most painful place to see this unity is in the church. And I, I'm thinking some of you have lived this out. Uh, some of you have experienced a church split. You've had to leave a church because of how that church operated, how people treated you. Maybe you saw power struggles. You saw um, uh, all kinds of divisions among, you know, you name it. I mean, aside from theological reasons, some churches split over that. But a lot of churches split for other things that you think, oh, dear goodness, you know, like they... The music's too loud, or it's the wrong kind of music, or, you know, the churches break for the silliest of reasons, and it's painful to experience the church not be united. When my mom raised us, you know, all seven kids by herself, I was not even a year old when my father left. Her brothers and sisters said, you know, maybe you should split the kids up, like send some kids to different uncles, and they were all very willing to take us in give my mom a break so she didn't have to raise so many kids by herself. And mom said, no, I'm keeping my kids together. And by herself, she raised seven kids. And I mean, obviously people did help her, but ultimately she kept us together. She fought for unity. And I believe that's something we need to do. I want to celebrate that last Sunday, a perfect stranger walked here and experienced a beautiful picture of unity through you. I want to celebrate that. But I want to assume that that's just going to happen if we don't talk about it, if we don't, we don't focus on it, if we don't put some energy into it. Because this unity is kind of like, it's one of those things that it comes in our human nature. Uh, here's a, words from James chapter 4, kind of where, where this unity comes from. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? This unity starts with us in our heart. We often are the ones who bring this unity. And it's been a human problem from the beginning. Open the Bible, read the very first chapters. In chapter 3 of Genesis, we see Adam and Eve living in perfect unity with God, and they broke that unity. And as soon as they do, as soon as they're disobedient, they start to break uh, unity among themselves, because right away, Adam saying, that woman you put here with me. And she says, well, the, certain, the serpent was the one who deceived me. I mean, right away, there's disunity, and it didn't end with them. They have two sons, Abel and Cain. And even those two sons can't keep it together. One kills the other. And we read through scripture, this unity is something we see throughout. We see two twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, divided. We see two sisters, Leah and Rachel, jealous for one another. We see kings, Saul, David, divided. David's sons, divided. That just keeps going down. The nation of Israel, divided between the north and the south. And you know, a lot of times in scripture, we can say, well, as a church today, we want to look back at the early church and see how do they deal with this problem? Maybe they didn't have this problem and we can be like them, right? But here's the problem. When we open the Bible, we read about the early church. There was division even then. When Jesus came into the scene, not only was Israel divided between north and south, but in Judea, in the south, you had uh, different sects of Judaism. You had the Pharisees who were the common people who cared a lot about following the rules. 
They did not believe that there was, they believed that there was life after death. But then you had the other guys, the Sadducees, who believed, well, there is no life after death. And they were the elitists and the, the, the high-class Jews, and they didn't associate with the Pharisees. And so they clash with one another. That's the scene that Jesus walks into. And then we see in Scripture that continues so many times the New Testament writers trying to encourage the church to be united. You see, unity is something we must always fight for. Martin Luther King says this, unity is the great need of the hour. I think unity is the great need of every hour. And as we study God's word today, as we collectively choose and, and make a decision, I hope, to fight for unity, to fight for, for that beautiful picture of what unity represents to the world, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 133. Did you bring your Bibles? We're Bible-bringing people. Yeah, yeah. Woohoo! Awesome. So open up, if you would, to Psalm 133. We're going to look at this psalm. This psalm is all about unity. It paints a picture for us about the beauty, the delight, the pleasure of unity. And it gives us even kind of a way to see how unity is possible, even among people that, you know, maybe don't have a lot in common, but unity is possible. So Psalm 133, as you look at right above it, if you have your Bible, it says, a song of ascent. And this would have been one of many psalms that the Jews would sing on their way from the desert to Jerusalem as part of their yearly festival celebration. This is one of the last ones. It is a short little psalm, but it has a lot to teach us about unity. Now, when I was in seminary, I took a psalms class with a a teacher who actually sang these psalms to us in Hebrew. And, oh my God, they sound so different because this is Hebrew poetry. And when you hear it in Hebrew, you hear the rhythm of the words. Now, not, not only can I not sing very well, believe me, you don't want me singing. I don't have a guitar and I don't speak Hebrew, so I can't give it to you that way. But try, if you can, to hear the rhythm of this song as I read it over you. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like a precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. The psalmist begins, and if again, if you, if you saw it in Hebrews, I don't understand why this isn't put in our English Bibles. I need to write somebody. I don't know who, but I figured it out. But there's a, a, a Hebrew word that starts this psalm called hine. And hine means, behold, look, take a look at this, stare at this. There's something to be stared at, something to be a wonder, looked with wonder. Behold, behold, how Good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. You have to look at this. There's an enthusiasm in the way the psalmist begins this statement. Behold, and he says, it's good and pleasant. Now, there are some things that are good and there are some things that are pleasant. Few things are both, right? So let me give you an example. Kale. How many of you like kale? Very few. I totally get it. 
How many of you are like me? We believe that kale was one of those garnishes in the buffet line, and someone made the mistake and put it on their plate, and ever since then, they're trying to convince us it's food, right? It turns out kale is good for us, but for many of us, we don't think it's all that pleasant, right? It's good, maybe not so pleasant. There are some things that are pleasant, but they're not so good. Like for me, I love Oreo cookies. And I would love to say they're good, but if you look at the ingredients, <laughs> I have to admit, it's like sugar, sugar, a little bit of a sugar, and some sugar to go with that sugar. If you come to my house, I promise you there is a bucket full of Oreo cookies, and Jim buys them in bulk, and we make sure there's always Oreo cookies in our house. And if you come over, just ask. I will be happy to share with you some Oreo cookies. I'll give you one. They're so delightful but they're not good. The psalmist tells us unity is both good and delightful. The language he uses, this beautiful picture of how unity can be experienced. And you know, if we just stopped there and said, sure, I've seen the beauty of unity. I've seen some experiences where I've been with my family or with some friends, or I even seen the church uh, united. And yeah, I agree. It's good. And it's beautiful. And okay, thank you. That could be a really short sermon and we can like leave early and go watch the football game early. Right. But what the psalmist says after is actually what I want to focus on today. Not only does he say that it's good and it's pleasant, but he goes on to give us these pictures of unity that I think have a lot to say to you and to me. Verse 2 says this, it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down to the collar of his bone, of his robe, his bone. I don't know where I came from. Now, you and I don't get this picture because none of us know Aaron, and we certainly have never seen someone being, like, imagine if someone walked up to you and just poured a bunch of oil over you. Would you be like, thank you, that was really nice? I don't think so. But the picture the psalmist wants to give us is the picture of Aaron, the high priest, and the order that God gave Moses to make this special oil for a special purpose. You can read this in Exodus chapter 30. Listen to the recipe for this oil. It's going to tell us a lot about unity. The Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus and 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hint of olive oil. A very special blend of spices with oil intended to have a beautiful aroma. Like a perfumer who makes a special perfume and blends different things together to create a very, very pleasant smell. That oil, God told Moses, pour that upon Aaron, the priest. In verse 25, it says, make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be sacred anointing oil. So now when the psalm says, it's like oil poured over Aaron, it's a sacred, set aside beautifully smelling oil poured upon Aaron. 
And then it says in Leviticus chapter 8, Moses poured some of the anointing oil over Aaron's head, and he anointed him to, and to consecrate him. Anointing is to bless, to set aside. Consecrating is to sanctify, to make holy, to reserve, to dedicate to God. Aaron was to be dedicated to God as the high priest. And his job was to bring unity to the people of God. The oil, the oil represented the Holy Spirit being poured upon Aaron, being poured upon God's people. Aaron being set aside, the people of Israel being set aside, the people of God, you and I, set aside, holy, sacred for God's purposes. So now you see unity doesn't come from you and I. It comes from God, doesn't it? It comes from above. It's a blessing from God, a blessing that sets us apart from anything else. That is why, that is why the church needs to be the most beautiful picture of unity. Aaron's job was to go into the temple and offer sacrifices. And those sacrifices were intended to bring forgiveness to the people of God. He came there to bring unity between the people of God and God himself. Aaron representing that unity, the oil representing God's anointing, God's setting him apart for that work. Unity is like that. Unity sets us apart that we might bring others to Christ by the way that we behave. We become like Aaron, the conduit through which people can see the beauty of God's blessing. We bring that blessing unto others as we are united in Christ. In fact, that's why Jesus said this prayer himself. In John chapter 17, we, we read Jesus' prayer for his people, for you, for me. It says, my prayer is that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity in Christ is the very vehicle through which God makes Jesus known to the world. Did you ever think of unity that way? Did you ever think that when we behave in that beautiful, delightful unity, people can actually see Jesus for who he is? That's a whole different picture of unity. It's not just for you and for me to experience, for us to have our little holy huddle and say, man, aren't we nice to each other? But rather that the world may see who Jesus is, that they might believe in Jesus. Do you want people to come to Christ? Do you have friends, family members that you're, you're praying for them? You're hoping they will accept Jesus? Well, here's how we can do it. We together collectively by being united, we can show them a picture of who Jesus is, the love that he came to bring. The third thing he, we tell, he tells us is that unity is refreshing and life-giving. So again, the psalmist uses another image to go even deeper. Verse 3 says this, It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling down on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows its blessing, even life evermore. Now, Again, you and I may not get this picture because uh, we didn't grow up in Israel. We don't live in Israel. Some of us have never been to Israel. But here's what I, you need to know. 
Mount Hermon is in the north of Israel, right by Syria and Lebanon. It's the highest mountain of Israel. It can be seen for hundreds of miles, and it's capped with snow all year round. It's a ski resort now. Mount Hermon always has like a bit of a cloud of moisture going on. Mount Zion is in the south. It's where Jerusalem is located. Everything between Mount Hermon and Mount Zion would be dry if it weren't for the moisture that comes from Mount Hermon down the valley on the Jordan River. These two mountains are very far apart from one another. For, for the moisture and the dew that's in Mount Hermon to make it to Mount Zion, it takes a bit of a miracle, doesn't it? Because we've got a long distance between these two mountains. And I think as a church, I, you know, we come to church and we don't get to pick the people who come. Like you don't get to come in here and go, oh, you know what? It's not for you. Can you go away? Or it's not for you. I'm inviting only my friends. We have a little thing going here. No, we don't get to choose. We, we get to choose maybe the people we work with. We get to choose our friends we get to hang out with. You probably chose who you're going to spend Super Bowl with. But when we come to church, it's whoever comes. This is an open house. And it may be a challenge for us to see how God can take us and unite us as one. How God can take people who are so different than you are, so different than I am, and somehow make us into one. But the psalmist says, here's the beauty of unity. It actually can happen. Through the power of God, he can unite the most unlikely people into one. It's that gorgeous picture of the, the dew that brings life to the valley and creates, makes the crops productive, that beautiful dew falling all the way down to the dry places. You know, it's possible. Someone here in the chapel today is the person that can give you what you need. Maybe you need encouragement today. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you just need a smile. Maybe you need someone to shake your hand and say hello. And introduce. I don't know what you need, but chances are what you need is probably already here in the room in someone else. Maybe you, you're what someone else needs. You're here today because there's someone who needs to experience your love, your encouragement, your kindness, your smile, your experience. This beautiful picture of from plenty to those who have little, from the top to the bottom, this beautiful picture of unity as a life-giving source. If we were not in Israel, we would not see this. But here's another way to hear it from um, Colossians chapter 3. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, 12 through 14. Listen to these uh, words. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, we can bear with one another. We can help one another. We can offer one another the very thing we're so desperate for. Are you familiar with TED Talks? Many of you listen to TED Talks. So I get an email telling me what the latest TED Talk is. And this weekend, uh, Friday, uh, the email came, and there was a TED Talk in there that caught my eye. It was uh, by a young woman named Anjali Kumar from India. 
she lives in the U.S., but she's very culturally from India. And her title of the message was, My Failed Mission to Find God and What I Found Instead. If you listen to her TED Talk, you'll hear that uh, Anjani went all over the world seeking for God. She went to Peru and met with uh, some, you know, shaman there. He went to Brazil and met with a healer. She drank weird stuff. She met with witches in New York. I mean, this girl was on a search for God. And after all of it, she said she did not find God. Before she left to Brazil, she wrote to her friends and said, I'm going to Brazil. I'm going to this healer. And uh, if you want me to bring your prayer with me, I I will bring it because he says he'll pray for people who come and people who don't. So people sent her all kinds of emails requesting uh, the things that they needed. And as she read all these emails, she found that these people were looking for God as well. And they were looking for three things in particular. And she saw that in all of their emails. They were looking for healing. They were looking for happiness. And they were looking for love. And she said, almost all of them finished their email with this statement. Don't tell anyone else. You see, the world is looking for healing. They're looking for joy and happiness, and they're desperately looking for love. And I'm thinking as I watch, my heart broke for her, that she did not find God in all her search. She didn't see. She didn't see the beautiful unity that comes from God. And I wonder, I wonder, what if Anjali would walk in here to the chapel? Would she find God in our unity? Would she experience the healing, the joy, the love that she and all the people that she took prayers for were looking for? That would be my prayer. Would it be yours? I would pray that any person that walks in here who is seeking that would find it merely because you and I make a conscious decision to make unity something we fight for, something we work towards, something we ask the Holy Spirit to help us with. We cannot do it on our own. We need the help of God to do so. And the foundation of our unity isn't you and I, isn't any person in particular. Often unity is found uh, through a leader, right? You see it in politics. You've got a, a leader and everybody rallies around that leader or, or a, a great CEO of a company or our awesome pastor in the big church, and everybody rallies, rallies to unity there. But the problem is, people don't live forever. At one point, either they can fail us, or they just plain get old and die. Now, how do we find unity? Our unity goes beyond any given person. In Great Britain, people had to find unity after Winston Churchill passed away. The civil rights movement had to find unity after Martin Luther King was assassinated. And you know, today, I'm an Apple user. I have my iPhone, and Apple is still trying to find unity after Steve Jobs passed away. I'm looking at other phones now. You cannot count on people to be the source of unity for us. The source of unity is Jesus Christ himself. And we're reminded of that through Paul in his letter to the Philippians. He starts the letter telling them, Conduct yourself in a matter worthy of your calling. And then he goes on to say this. He says, therefore, 
if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness, compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit, one in mind. How do we do that? Through Christ. It is Christ that unites us into one. He's the foundation. The Holy Trinity, God himself, being united, unites us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians because that church was having all kinds of issues. Some people were quarreling with one another. Some were saying, I follow Apollos. Some were following Cephas. Some were following Paul. And Paul's like, no, it's not about the people. It's about Jesus Christ. Focus there. And it's especially important when we have any change of leadership that we are reminded that Jesus is our foundation and the unity that comes from above, it's eternal. It's eternal. It's not affected by circumstances. It's not affected by change because Jesus doesn't change. He's always our source. He's always our love. Jesus told us, In John chapter 2, he says, a new command I gave you, love one another as I have loved you. He says, you must love one another. This is the way people will know that you're my disciples. Our unity lets the world know Jesus is our foundation. Unity is the great need of the hour. Unity is the great need of the world today. And it's particularly important for us here at Mariner's Church. We're about to go through a transition. We're about to go through a change of our leadership. Some of you probably got the letter from uh, Kenton. How many of you did receive an email? If you didn't receive the email through your uh, bulletin, there's a contact card. You can write your name and information there and, and mark the little box that says compass. That's, your, that's how we communicate with the church, through that compass. And this weekend, right as we sit here today, Kenton and Lori are in the worship center announcing to our community that God spoke to them and they realize that this is a time for them to transition to what God's calling to him next. And they're beginning this process of looking for who will be the next senior pastor of our church. And we love Kenton and Lori. They're an amazing leaders. They've been here. In fact, this month marks that they've been at this church for 40 years. He's been a senior pastor over 30 years. He's been a solid rock for this community. But our unity, our unity is even beyond Kenton and Lori. And while we appreciate, celebrate, and support all they have done, and while we will have emotions about the transition We hold together to the unity, the delightful unity Psalm 133 talks about. I want you to hear from Kenton and Lori themselves of how they heard God lead them into this new journey and how they want us to pray for them. After the video, we're going to pray for Kenton and Lori. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for our chapel. We're going to pray for Orange County because Honestly, wouldn't it be amazing that this season at Mariner's Church could be the best season where the church, this church, Orange County churches, come together united in Christ to be a testimony to the world 
of Jesus Christ. And so as you listen to their words and their message, I want to let you know that their message, this video, and the entire service that is going on in the worship center is on our website. And so after today, I encourage you to go to our website. There's a page there where you can watch that, this video, the other videos, and get all the questions that you might have answered. They're all going to be there. As much information as we can provide along the way, we will. But here's what I want you to remember as you listen. Our mission to be followers of Jesus who changed the world, our passion to be united under the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, has not, will not change. That doesn't change. And while people might come and go, Jesus never leaves. And we, of all people, have an opportunity to show the world unity that is beautiful, good, pleasant, and thoroughly delightful. Listen to Kenton. If you've been around Mariners for any season, you know that every summer, Lori and I get away and we pray for our church. We pray for you. We pray, what does God want us to learn this next year? And I plan the curriculum. And then also we pray this prayer. God, are we where you want us to be doing what you want us to do? number of years ago, we realized that there would be some point at which it would be right to transition. And so about 12 years ago, Lori and I got a group of people together that could help us think through how should we be prepared for a transition? How do we prepare the church for it? And they were great people who had actually gone through the transition themselves. And they gave us great coaching. And so we've been praying about that and trying to figure out what can we do to be ready. So this last summer, as we prayed, God said, it's time. And that was kind of startling for us, but there was a sense of excitement. We had the elders pray with us. And actually at the board meeting that we just had in January, they affirmed with us that it's time. And we're confident that it's time for really three reasons. Uh, maybe four. The first, obviously, because God said that it's time. But really the first reason is that it's time for the next generation to step up. When I look at the church, I couldn't be more excited about where we are. And as I look at the next generation leaders and where God's calling them, and I look at what we need to be as a church, where we need to go, the things that we need to accomplish, it's really time for the next generation to step up and to lead our church, to be relevant and to be innovative in our ministries. And that's what we've always wanted. And so it's time for the next generation to step up. And secondly, it's time for Lori and I specifically to bless the next generation. We have been mentors and coaches, and we love that as we've got to spend time uh, with senior pastors and Lori with their wives. And we feel like God's called us to that. And we've gotten lots of traction around that. And we want to spend our time doing that. And then also it's time for a change of pace. Although I feel like I can run fast as ever. Lori slowed down a lot. <laughs> or Lori thinks I've slowed down. But the idea is that it really is time for a change of pace. And so the things that we want to focus on is I'm going to continue teaching God's word like I have. I love that. Secondly, I'll be bringing leadership to the Rooted Network. And then third, I'm going to work with our global partners because I love that. And then we're going to be mentors and coaches. So as we change our pace, what are you most excited about? Other than grandchildren. Is that it? Lots you of like time them? with grandchildren. Right. And you've kind of pushed it because you think I'm old and it hurts my feelings. Yeah. You know, I'm too old to... Really? I can't... <laughs> 
I think I could do it. I am super confident as we go through this that God is going to lead us to make the right choice. For over 40 years, the elders have been so good to us. Um, they have taken care of us and guided and counseled and encouraged us. And you're in such good hands with these elders. You can trust them because um, they love our church. They love you. As we move into this transition, I'm sure you'll have questions. All of the answers to the questions are on our website, and I'd encourage you to go there as we go through this season of transition. But join us in prayer. It's a great adventure of faith as we go through this season of transition. Lots of emotions, right? Wonderful, wonderful people of God. I want us to pray for Lori and Kenton. They left with the elders for a weekend retreat, and while they were there, they chose the passage for this year for us as a church, and it's all about unity. I think the best way we can bless them is by being united behind them and pray for them. First, let's read the passage together, and then we'll pray for them. Uh, you have the card uh, with you in a bulletin. Let's read this together. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. That's our prayer for us here at the chapel and our prayer for Mariner's Church. Now let us extend a hand towards the worship center. That's where Kenton and Lori are right now. This is a, a posture of being with them. And let me just offer a prayer for them. Father, we're so grateful, so grateful for Kenton and Lori, for their heart for this church, for the 40 years that they have been here with us, leading us, guiding us, teaching us, the vision, Lord, that you have given Kenton and that he has so obediently followed, the ups and the downs that they have struggled, the, the challenges and, and the victories that they have walked us with, the journey that this church has gone through over the last 50 years, Lord. We're grateful. We're grateful for them. Lord, would you give them wisdom? Would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them? They're going to be exhausted after this weekend. They have just poured out their hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would just have this community be the most beautiful, united community behind them. And Lord, I pray for the journey, the, the process that we're about to go through. Lord, would you bind us together in the spirit? Already you know the future, a glorious future. And so, Lord, we trust you with who you will bring. You're already preparing that next leader. Prepare our hearts to receive with love, with patience, with kindness, with compassion. And would you, Father, unite us into a Holy Testament to the world of your presence and your perfect love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as you stand and think about where are you going to start with your response to God's word, let me remind you of our stations, especially if you're new. The communion table where we are reminded that we are united in Christ through the work that he did on the cross. And here we get reminded that he gave everything so that we could have life. And then we go to the cross where we might confess our sins because there's no longer condemnation. 
And so we can live in the freedom that Jesus has paid for us. The candles, a place where we are reminded of the glorious hope we all get to look forward to. And of course, we have our elder right up front here, Brian and his wife, and the prayer team around the room, the offering boxes, other ways to respond. But today, in the spirit of unity and family, I'd like to invite you to perhaps do something a little bit different. Would you seek out someone that you have never met? Would you find around someone that you haven't met? And would you introduce yourself to them? Just your name if you want, or say something more if you want. Would you find unity with someone that you've never met today? And then after we're done with the response and we worship, uh, we'll go out in the patio. And many people from the worship center come to the chapel after the service to pray, to light a candle. And you might be the most beautiful picture of family they might have seen this week. And so as we walk out to the patio, let's continue to worship God in unity by loving on one another. Sound good? So go ahead and stand and respond to what God has told you today. And then we worship together. Go ahead. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.